Okay, so learning objective five, continuing on, um, looking at part two. So this is now looking at having developed the scope. Um, this is now about controlling the scope. So all very well developing the scope and even all very well agreeing the scope and even baselining the scope. In other words, version one, this is it. Any changes now, um, you know, uh, we'd need to go through a formal change control. But of course, as soon as we baseline the scope, somebody's going to come knocking on the door with a change request. They say, well, there's something I didn't think of. Or there's something I want to add. Or life has changed. We have to change. So let's look at some of the terms. So um, change control clearly here, but we've also got this other term called configuration management, which is not a term that perhaps is everyday word. So we'll have a look at that and see how these two topics fit together, a little bit hand in glove, configuration management and change control. So configuration, first of all, what do we mean by configuration or configuration management? Well, think of it this way. Here's a product, it could be anything, it doesn't matter what it is, um, and you change one part. Let's take a laptop or a bicycle or anything, it doesn't really matter. Imagine it's like a jigsaw puzzle and you change one component. The question is, what other parts change? Now, clearly there is implications. You change one part, another part might change. Um, do we understand what version something has? So when we've changed something, we've now got two versions in operation. So how do we control that? You know, maybe some people are using version one and some people are using version two. Well, is that okay? Or do we need to actually reissue version two to everybody? So again, understanding how the change affects the version number. What about unique identification? There are many, many parts, components, aren't there, within a project, whether it be documents or widgets. Um, how do we ensure that we've got you uniquely identify them and we understand where they are and what their status is? Is somebody working on them or, or have they been released um, to, to, to the team? Um, what about if our specifications are out of date? Has somebody updated them or are we still working toward versions? So this could be a nightmare if it's not done in an orderly way. And, and, and when it's not done in an orderly way, it generally is a nightmare. So configuration management then, what is it? It's really the technical and administrative activities that is all about controlling the creation, the maintenance, the change uh, of the scope of the project. It makes sure that we understand the relationship. It's a, think of it as a library. In fact, the person who is often allocated the role of looking after this is called the configuration librarian. So it's all about record keeping. So we want to make a change. Do I understand the relationship? If I change this part, do I understand? And the config management system should tell me that. Um, if I want to identify a component, the configuration management process would help me to identify it to know where it is, who's working on it, what type of product it is. For example, very simply, you might have drawings, design drawings, and they might have a, a, a unique number on them, and they might be um, prefaced with a letter that tells you the size, so when you see it in a spreadsheet, you know the kind of size of the drawing. Um, there might be on a drawing a whole series of 
um, change notes so that we can see how the drawing or the design has moved from version one to two to three to four and so on. So a history of change. Um, if it's a physical component, which is generally going to be, isn't it? Even a document is physical, then where is it? Is it in the filing system? Whereabouts in the filing system? But if it's a, a component in a car factory, whereabouts is it? How do I identify it? Do I know what stock I've got? In fact, if we just pause there for a moment and use that word stock, it immediately makes us think of the fact that configuration management is actually asset management. You could actually rename it asset management, I suppose. Um, these individual components that we saw on the product breakdown structure, we're going to call them configuration items. And each one needs a record and needs to be controlled and tracked. So let's look at the process then, or the activities within the process of configuration management. So the first step is to plan it. You know, how are we going to do it? Do we have a process? Do we have a system? Um, who is going to be involved in actually undertaking this? What are the rules for this? Are there any uh, legal um, restrictions on, on documentation, for example? Then once we've planned it, we start to do it. And the first step now is to identify all of the configuration items. Um, the product breakdown structure we saw listed all of the, the products. So we now bring those in and document those. Um, there may be some, some products that we don't wish to bring under control, under formal control. So weekly reports, for example, wouldn't necessarily be version controlled, but the business case would. So we bring these products um, into the fold um, and then we control them, the second, the, well, the third step really here, after, after identification. So we now control them. So this is making sure that we've got good change control in place so that we understand that when we change one thing, we need to change another. And we implement change control. Very important subset, if you like, of configuration management. Then we do the record keeping, the status accounting. This is where the, the configuration librarian um, is, is putting the emphasis now. This is making sure that we, we, we know what we've got and we know where it is and who's working on its status. So think of a, a curator of a museum or a librarian, a librarian in a library. They should know through their records what they've got, where it is, who's got it, etc. And that's absolutely key to good configuration management. And then the last um, component here is verification and audit. So this is now about going out and checking formally that what your records say aligns with what you've actually got. In a project, the two can drift apart. We don't always update the records. Reality runs faster than the, the paperwork that follows it. So this is very important now that we make sure through audit, through checks, that certainly at the end of the project, but typically at the end of a phase as well, we go and check the paperwork and we say, yes, let's, everything aligns. The component that we've got out in the field complies with the records that we've got of it. And if it doesn't, of course, then it means that we can go back and update the records. Now, I said that change control um, was a sort of component or a subset, if you like, of configuration management. But we just want to talk about it um, on its own because it is significant. So again, change control is described by the APM as a process. 
uh, through which all requests to change the baseline of a project scope um, go through. Um, and the steps are we identify, uh, we evaluate, and we make a decision about whether to carry out that change. Um, we've got to be careful here. Um, and again, this ties back to configuration management. People will say things like, it's only a small change, it won't take you very long. Or somebody senior wants you to change this, so just go into head and do it with you. And what we've got to do is make sure that we don't fall into that trap. We've got to step back, and if we follow the change control process and ask the right questions, we won't fall into that trap. Because scope creep, uncontrolled change, is the enemy and often the death of many a project. So let's make sure that we've got a process in place and we've got the discipline uh, to, to, to um, enact that change control process. So the change comes in. Now, in an ideal world, and the world is not always ideal, but in an ideal world, we have a process for doing that. We make sure that anybody who requests a change fills out the right paperwork. A change request form would be great. However, however the change comes in, the important thing for the project is that we log it in something called a change register or a change log. And that is the responsibility of the project manager to make sure that happens. Then we do some evaluation. Now, some, some, some change requests might be very, very simple. Some might be very complex and involve a lot of work to evaluate. So we break this into sort of two steps, if you like. There's the initial evaluation, the quick and dirty, the high-level review, where we say, well, look, what does this mean? Do we understand the change request? Maybe you go back to the person who's raised it to clarify some things. And at that point, we may be able to reject the change. Or we may need to proceed with permission into perhaps a, a higher value evaluation now. So we now go and look at it in more detail. And this is where we ask questions. How much is it going to cost? How long will it take? How many resources do I need? How does it affect the risk of the project? How does it affect the quality of the project? How does it affect the benefits? What other products does it affect? How much work that has been done now needs to be redone? So we interrogate it at this point with a set of detailed questions. And then we make our recommendation. If we're the project team, we make our recommendation. We say, look, you know, we think you should go ahead with this, this or we think you should reject it. But we may offer some options. That would then be escalated up to the change authority, um, who ultimately would be the sponsor. The sponsor may delegate that down, even to some level to the project manager, but it goes to the uh, change authority, who then make a decision either to reject the change and then inform the person who raised it, to defer it, to push it down the road. It's a helpful change, but we don't want to make it now. Or we approve it. And if we approve it, then obviously we update documents, we update our configuration records, version numbers, and then we issue out new work packages, new uh, information, new contracts, variations to whoever's producing it and then we track that change. Now, all the way through that journey, we've been updating our change register to show the status of change as we've been going through. So, the change log, or the change register here, very important document to make sure that we are, um, you know, tracing that through. So, at any point in time, 
We haven't got change requests lying there, languishing, forgotten about. We make sure that we prioritize our change requests. Um, in some projects, we might um, exercise something or implement something called a change freeze. So this is where we get to a point and we say, look, no more changes. The only changes from now on are, are showstoppers. No more changes. Um, and after this point, any change request comes in, we defer to the projects has finished and we do it post-project if it's still needed. Uh, the criteria, we've, we've already looked at that. So the questions we would ask about how it affects, you know, scope, time, cost and so on. But also we might prioritise our changes in terms of the ones that are showstoppers, the must-haves, the ones that are the uh, should-haves, we, we should have those, the ones that we could have, and the ones that we're definitely not having, we're rejecting them. So the same principle as we use for requirements, we can use here to prioritise our changes. So just as we sort of conclude on this subject, um, hopefully by now the relationship between configuration management and change control should be clear. So we've said that change control is part of the process of configuration management. So controlling, the controlling stage, is where we would carry out the change control. But of course the relationship goes back the other way. When we're making a change, we consult the configuration um, management system and we look at the configuration items and the information stored against them to understand the implications of the change. And then when we've made the change, we update the records, our configuration records, to ensure that we've got an up-to-date set of documents.